James Harden going to sign their extension. His trade value is not there. And when you hear reports... He paid $16 million of his $33 million salary. I know about people that have certain clauses what in their contract. What happens next year with Giannis Antetokounmpo? He will be eligible for a Supermax next summer. If he re-signs a new reality, the players are going to move around and the players are, are, are not going to want to spend their whole you know, life. And because they didn't want to go into the penalty of the luxury tax, they traded James Harden. Somebody's going to be making $50 Find a home. So, he probably could have made a little bit more money this summer in free agency. I think agency. he could have got a lot more in the offseason. Wow. You got a chance to secure the bag. You got to secure it, man. No question. What's going on, party people? I am your host, Stephen Bagel, and this is Sports Ethos' very own The Bird Rights Podcast. With me today, we have a guest I'm very excited about to have home because he's into, you know, that nerdy front office salary cap type stuff that's you know i'm kind of forming a niche in and again i i don't want to call myself an expert by any means but i'm still definitely learning every day and anyway without further ado we have salary cap strategist capologist writer for bleacher report instructor for sports business classroom eric pinkus eric how are you doing today i'm doing great thanks for having me of course so, Eric, for those of you who are familiar with friend of the pod, Corbin Ford, he was on his pod, Round Ball Ramble, I believe, sometime last season. And, yeah, so go definitely check that out. But, Eric, as I did say, you are an instructor for Sports Business Classroom. And I feel like my listeners, again, obviously they had to have some interest in the front office. So, I guess my question is, it kind of explain a little bit what it is, what you do specifically for them, and why people should do it. Absolutely. Well, uh, I started working with uh, SBC, Sports Business Classroom, in 2016. So uh, we've put some years in, and the program is primarily <clears throat> our, our main event is every year in Las Vegas at the Summer League, where uh, everybody is in the league, every players, coaches uh executives and and um you're actually in the building studying uh with some of the best people in the industry larry coon is you know the, the godfather of teaching the salary cap uh, a longtime friend uh we have seth partnow who uh is an analytics expert worked with the bucks we've got dave defore who works with the athletic and he brings in all these incredible coaches and scouts to help the students learn how to do scouting video analytics. We have Bo Estes, who's the voice of, you know, top 10 plays of the week on NBA TV. He's teaching the students uh, a media and broadcast. So it's, it's for, it's not just for those who are interested in the salary cap. Obviously that's my favorite because that's my expertise. That's what I teach. Uh, but uh, it's a great program. And, and what you do is you spend five, six days together working and it's not like, it's not a light, fair like we put you through the paces and and it's a grind but you're you're learning like we had jerry west speak last year we've had adam silver speak we've had mark cuban we've had coaches Masai, um you know um everything every across the board you know people in the media people if you're media broadcast people who are calling games coming up and talking and teaching and then it's a bunch of networking we do a a wonderful mock trade deadline uh, that's a project that we do throughout the week, which culminates in like a four hour trade deadline window. It gets totally crazy. And then students have to present uh, at the end in front of their whole class uh, up on a stage and present what they did and sell their team. And we, re you know, we, we award the top three performers and, and it, it is the most fun I have all year. So if you are 
interested in making that leap into a career in basketball, this is one of the best ways to do it because we're really well connected with the league. They know who we are. Uh, we help seed their their front offices and their staffs. I and mean, we've got people with the Wizards and the Clippers and the Spurs and the uh, the Celtics. And the, I mean, the list goes on and on and on. Uh, we've got two former students who are <clears throat> literally GMs of G League teams. So it's, it's just a wonderful program. Uh, we help people get jobs. Uh, that's really the joy of it. It's not, you know, there are programs that exist that try to sell you. They just try to make a buck off of students and then they present content. And that's just not what we do. And I stay in touch with all of our students or all, all that want to stay in touch. And uh, they write for me uh, over at sportsbusinessclassroom.com. And so it's a chance to help them develop their writing. Just a, a wonderful program. It's part of me <clears throat> sharing the love of what I do. And if I can help people get a job through it, then I'm, I'm 100% on board. Of course. And again, I know a lot of you are very into the front office aspect of it. It's definitely something that appeals to me. I know Corbin said he had the time of the life. That's how you and him got connected because he was a student in SBC. And unfortunately, you know, I, I've had to take multiple bar exams. I just graduated <laughs> law school in 2020. So Congrats. thank you. So I had to take another one in July, unfortunately. And I believe SBC summer league is right around the end of June. If I'm just right during no, right after the it's uh, it's, it's at summer league, which is usually, Somewhere in the second week of July or maybe yeah. the first week in July. So it literally fluctuates. I'd be at SBC and then had the bogs in the following week. So it's just wow. it's tough for me. To- another time, another time. Yeah, exactly. So, but yeah, I'm definitely going to have to get out there at some point. It's definitely an experience that I've been anxious to participate in. So anyway, everybody has any questions about that, reach out to me. You could reach out to Eric and we could, um, I could connect you guys if necessary. And we Absolutely. could, um, we could expand from there if any listeners are interested. So Eric, I wanted to have you on because obviously there's this fictitious date of December 15th where it's the unofficial start of NBA trade deadline. And it that's it's essentially called that because that's when the guys who just recently signed free agent deals are eligible to be traded. But we 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 don't really see any trades happen until I would say at least January. We see a few financial moves where before contracts get guaranteed and teams are trying to shed money. But really, we're not going to see anything till February, I don't think. Maybe a little earlier this year if teams want to, you know, really start tanking to go after Victor Wembayama and get off their veterans sooner, potentially, any sellers. But we're going to talk about it. I, I don't want to keep rambling. But teams like the Bulls, for example, that may become sellers, they're going to try to drive this thing out as long as possible because, again, top four protected pick, they're not going to want to sell. So... Let's start with the Lakers, actually, because I-, I know you used to write for the LA Times, so you are pretty plugged in with the Lakers. And again, they're the Lakers. Everyone is always keeping up with what they're doing. So in your most recent article, I believe you said, again, I don't want to misquote you, so please correct me if I do. I believe you said a Russell Westbrook trade at this point is probably closer to 50-50 happening. Is that correct? Yeah, I mean... I guess the best way to put it is um, they know they see the value of what he brings mm-hmm. on the court. And, and we're recording this right after AD had a, a, a foot injury in, mm-hmm. in a game that may be nothing and it may be something. And and it didn't look like it was much. But by the time the, the 
someone's listening to this uh, as the finished product, we may find that he's perfectly okay, or maybe he's got something more serious. So uh, on the assumption that he's fine, uh, that he's not going to miss like a month or two months or something crazy or the rest of the season, something insane. Uh, they believe that they have a, a, a viable pairing with AD and Russ because uh, you know, AD's playing out of his mind. He's having a you know resurgent season after two years of really struggling physically, and that's great news for the Lakers. But they also know that you know he's not like a he's not a guard. Uh, AD he's not like he's reliant on uh, playmakers getting him the ball in a in a position to attack, be it the pick and roll uh, or just feeding him in the post or whatever, uh, or, or just uh, someone else creating a shot and him you know, AD going after the offensive rebound, et cetera. So uh, there's some value in what LeBron does, of course, uh, and there's value in what uh, Russ does. Uh, the challenge, and I think why it's closer to 50-50, is that the combination of uh, Russ and LeBron hasn't really proven to be successful. Now, they had a good run the other day. They've had a couple of games where they've, even against the Celtics in a game they lost, they had a uh, productive time with uh, LeBron and Russ on the floor together, but the numbers across you know the whole season are pretty terrible for the two of them when they play together. Mm -hmm. And so there's this sort of concern that the Lakers have so many resources, so much, such a high percentage. He's the highest paid player on the team. And if you could break him and maybe trade Patrick Beverly and Kendrick Nunn and bring back three or four guys, now they have the kind of depth and support that they need, along with players they like, like Lonnie Walker and Austin Reeves and a, maybe a couple others. They might be able to be successful uh, moving all of that or maybe keeping Russ is better if they don't get that same kind of playmaker back. And then you're talking about just moving Beverly or none and getting maybe one or maybe two pieces back and keeping Russ. And is that going to work? Personally, I don't think Russ... LeBron AD works in the in the playoffs. I think it, it, it's more likely to work in the regular season. I think at the end game of a playoff game where they need to succeed and they need to execute, there's going to be uh, a lot of wide open Russell Westbrook shots because they're just not going to guard him, and he's either going to make him or miss him, and that's going to be their playoff success. This you know how well Russ hits an open three or makes a good decision. Uh, from wherever he is, wherever they're leaving him open. And, and that's problematic for me because I don't, you know, I, I think he's fantastic at a lot of things. I personally don't trust him in those moments, uh, similar to what happened in Boston just the other day or in LA versus Boston recently. So that's my take on the Lakers. I think they're open to it. Uh, they'll probably overpay. That's their history uh, under this regime, uh, you know, this leadership. They overpay. Uh, I don't necessarily trust that they'll make a great decision. Uh, but at the same time, they did win a, win a ring a few years ago. And so um, they've shown that they have some ability to put a team together. I'm just not quite sure they'll be able to navigate this one um, successfully, but you know, they might find the right pieces. It might cost them more than maybe I would be comfortable with, but if they, if they win and they end up uh, fixing what's broken, I don't think fans are going to be upset if they gave up too much, if they win. And that's, that's a, pretty big if yeah and i mean it, it's so difficult to evaluate like when you're trading a tw I, I, the talk with the lakers is okay the two picks they could trade if they want to package two or 2027 and 2029 those picks are so far out in the future i know obviously lebron is 37 years old at this point so everyone covers those picks because they figure okay the lakers are a train wreck now what are they going to be all these years we have no idea so but the fact that you're getting a pick 
if it's unprotected, that's valuable. We saw, you know, Minnesota definitely overpaid with Rudy Gobert giving you four unprotected picks. But I don't know. I'm actually going to be doing an episode next week with Corbin. I had him on last year. We did our front office and GM rankings. And as you said, Rob Palenka is a difficult one because of the fact that he did win a championship, even though he doesn't seem to be able to figure it out next to LeBron and AD. So I don't know. We'll we'll have to see. I don't want to keep hoping on the Lakers. I was a big advocate that they should have just took Buddy Heald from Sacramento rather than doing the Westbrook trade. They would have had Buddy Heald. They would have had KCP. They would have had, if they re-signed Crusoe instead of Tan Horton Tucker, then you have appealing salaries that you could have salary matched for another trade if it didn't work out. Then this behemoth Westbrook contract that nobody wants. But I don't know. That That's my opinion. Again, I'm not going to beat a dead horse song, and I've talked about it on this podcast previously. But speaking of the Lakers, obviously Kyle Kuzma ended up going to the um, to the Wizards in that Russell Westbrook trade. So what? I know you said that you heard from an NBA source that not only is he looking for an upward of $20 million a season, he's he has a $13 million player option, so he's likely to opt out this upcoming season. But he, you also said he, this source has informed you that you want out – or that – not you – that he wants out of Washington. So what do you think? Is it likely that he gets moved at the deadline or, I mean – Washington, it, they have this Portland Trailblazer syndrome in the aspect of they honestly probably should have started rebuilding when John Wall tore his, what was it, his Achilles, I believe, or what? Whenever, yeah, whenever John Wall got hurt, yeah. he, had, he, he yeah. hurt a bunch of stuff. Once John Wall started getting hurt, they should have, okay, let's trade Bradley Beal, let's trade Wall for we, they, they should have rebuilt then. And they just, they don't want to do it. They want to build around Bradley Beal, obviously, the Christos Porzingis now. So, how do you think this whole Kuzma saga plays out with him expiring? Right. Well, it, he he's going to want obviously as much as he can get. I've heard it's in the twenty million dollar range, so that might be as high as twenty five. I, I don't have an exact number. I just know that he's looking for a significant raise and believes he should get it and probably will get it. Uh, the Wizards, as you you pretty accurately said, is that they've been conservative more more than not. You would think, but you know, on one hand, they didn't trade Bradley Beal, and there were speculation and rumors, and everyone was like, they got to trade Beal, they got to trade Beal. And I spoke to someone with the Wizards and they were like, why would we trade our best player? It doesn't make any sense. He wants to be here. We want to keep him. We're not going to trade him. And that may make sense, too. Right. But they did trade Russ and they did trade John Wall and they've been aggressive. So I I'm of two minds with the Wizards. I, I see how they've been conservative with how they were conservative with Beal. And I see how they've been aggressive as they were aggressive with moving Russ and moving some other players. So I don't have an answer as to what they'll do. Of course, that's what we, we have to, it's, it's like predicting uh, a, a game. I can prep you on who might win and who has the advantages and what, you know, what the matchups are, but the outcome is, you know, determined on the floor. Uh, in this case, it's determined in the front offices and, and uh, we won't have answers probably, as you said, in the opening uh, closer to February. Uh, we do have some trades. Usually we have one or two trades in December. Last year we had none. Um, I could probably get into why uh, if I had a student and I was digging into the ifs and the and the buts onto why I could explain why there were no trades in December last year. But usually there's one or two. There's usually <clears throat> two couple in January. And then you have a flurry uh, at the deadline, maybe one or two before the deadline a few days before. So uh, and, and it's it's not that teams want to wait. If you ask every team, they will always complain about how every other team won't make a deal. 
and it, it's driving them crazy. Why, why won't they make a deal? I'm like, well, you're not making a deal either. It's because, you know, everybody thinks they're going to get better if they wait. Uh, so in the case, of, <clears throat> excuse me, in the case of the Wizards uh, with Kuzma, I don't think he actively is saying, trade me, I want to go. It's not like I don't want to be here. It's more like I'm fine being here. I'm going to finish my contract. I'm going to opt out. And then I'm going to go explore free agency. And someone like Kuzma, I believe, is interested in a lifestyle uh, in addition to getting paid, uh, which I think he will. Uh, I think, you know, he, he dates a supermodel. He's you know handsome young man, very fashionable. Uh, he's had a lot of success. He, he grew up in L.A. as far as career. Like, you know, obviously yeah. he's not from Los Angeles, but that's where his NBA uh, maturity happened. Uh, so there's certainly some interest, I think. Uh, if the Lakers want to pay to bring him back. Uh, but I don't think he would want to be that little brother role that he felt he was in before where he was very much uh, a, a bench scorer, spot starter uh, and defender. I think he would want to continue to be the guy who's putting in 20 points a game. And to be honest, the Lakers at this point could use more of an individual scorer than they did back then where it was LeBron was more dominant. Uh, LeBron's still dominant, but he was more dominant. And AD is... Uh, AD, they could certainly use uh, they, they don't have the same kind of depth before you had KCP uh, you had Caruso, you had Kuzma you had other role players in there there were so many good players that were not elite scorers but who contributed and they shared the wealth when it came to points and I think the Lakers right now don't have that depth and would rely on Kuzma to score more. Uh, I think the Knicks make a ton of sense for Kuzma not necessarily because it makes sense but the business side of it makes a lot of sense. They're uh, very well aligned with CAA, uh, the agency. Leon Rose, yep. Right. Leon Rose ran CAA. Uh, he's very close uh, to all of the agents that he helped mentor mm -hmm. and partnered with when he was with CAA. And if you look at their track record, like Jalen Brunson, CAA, Julius Randle, CAA, Isaiah Hartenstein, or Hartenstein, uh, CAA. And, and there might be one or two others. Uh, it's Obi Toppin, and, I believe. right. Obi's Obi, but they're like, if they have 17 players, I, I I think they have 15 plus two, two ways. Um, I'd have to double check, but in that range, 16, 17 players, uh, most are not with CAA. So I don't want to suggest that they'll only sign CAA. It's like people who say the Lakers are only, only signing clutch. Yes, they mostly sign clutch, but more players than not are not with clutch because that's just not how you can operate. Uh, so, uh, but I, CAA would get an I think Kuzma will, will be a top five free agent this summer, maybe top 10. I have to make a list and it would be subjective. It depends on where you would put a Kyrie Irving. Like some people might say that he's a bigger, quote, star, but he might have a smaller market based on some of his off court issues. Right. Yes. So uh, as far as you, age, Kuzma is a, a you know, a, what you would call a prime age where he, I think he's 27, 26 in that range. Mm -hmm. Um and and so if you pay him for four years, you're or four or five years, but four years, you're paying him right into his early 30s, which is really when players tend to start to slow down a little bit. Some absolutely go further than that. Um, so you're getting him at the right time in his career. Uh, he is marketable. He is you know somebody that you, who who's comfortable talking in front of the camera and, and representing your team. So I, I I think there's interest in in that. Um, I think Sacramento, of course, you mentioned Buddy, uh, almost going to the Lakers. That was for Kuzma. They uh, have a hole where Harrison Barnes is uh, in that his contract is expiring. He's right around 30, 31. And uh, theoretically, that would be an upgrade for them uh, just based on age to go to Kuzma. 
Uh, and so maybe they want to do it in trade beforehand. I don't know if they would want to mix up their chemistry, uh, given that they're playing pretty well. Uh, and there's a couple other teams I think I wrote about in the article. I, um, the Phoenix Suns, was one of yeah. them. Yeah. The Suns make a ton of sense um, <clears throat> because you're interested in the salary cap side. Uh, a player who's about to be a free agent, typically it's a challenge to get real value for them because they can leave. So some of that would have to come with Kuzma saying, you know, basically his agent uh, doing a handshake. If yeah. you trade a first, then, you know, they would have some negotiation beforehand, which would not be binding, would not be legal, but is also common in the NBA. And it would be something like, OK, we'll pay you, you know, 22 million a year over, you know, four years. Dah, dah, dah. And and uh, generally speaking, people are good for their word, not always, but generally speaking. And then so the Suns, you know, the issue there is that Cam Johnson is about to be a free agent. So. How would that make sense for the Wizards? How would that make sense for the Suns? It makes sense for the Suns if there was this handshake. But what's different for the Wizards is that Cam will be restricted. And so, yep. right. So if any team were to make an offer to Cam, they could keep him. They have the right of first refusal. Whereas with Kuzma, they could offer him more money than anybody else. And he could just say, no, thank you. And that's possible. Like if there's a difference of one or two or $5 million, he still may go to New York or he still might go somewhere else uh, if he wants a different lifestyle, different. So maybe he wants to be on a contender. The other thing about the Suns that I noted is that I'm not sure how. Um, they're how for sale. Capable. Yeah. yeah, they're for sale. So they're the t I don't know how capable that front office is in trading away first round picks or agreeing or signing players long term. And I had the same kind of questions about like Portland when they went, they had an interim GM, but still owner. And there was rumors they were for sale, but there's a difference between a GM who's interim who ended up getting the job anyway, um, versus a team that's actually for sale. And maybe they don't want to um, make large commitments that um, they feel might hurt the sale of the team. Let the new owners make those kind of decisions. So I don't know if the Suns are, are if they could get uh, compensation for Crowder and maybe Cam, if they could, get enough compensation to offset what they bring, you know, they wouldn't necessarily give up a first, but if it was Crowder and Cam uh, and maybe Crowder was going to another team and, you know, so all, there's all kinds of ways to get deals done in this league beyond just a straightforward line between two teams. Yeah. And now that we're on the topic of Phoenix, I think you said something similar with John Collins, the fact that he just signed a five for 125 beginning of last year. So he has like four years about, Again, I don't know the exact, about $101, $102 million left. Phoenix may not be willing to, and I, I believe Shane Strani actually said when he reported there was a three-team deal done and that or with Milwaukee, Houston, and Phoenix, where Jay Crowder would have went to Milwaukee, it, and, and Eric Gordon, et cetera, would have went to Phoenix. So that, that's a whole other article. Everyone go subscribe to The Athletic and go read that. But I, I preface that to say that they're hesitant to take on a John Collins type in a Crowder deal because of what we just talked about, because of the fact that the Suns may not be willing to spend that $100 million over four years because their ownership's in flux. So John Collins is interesting. I know I have read, again, I apologize if this wasn't from you, but I, I know I have read that Indiana was interested. I believe Jake Fisher, friend of the pod from Yahoo Sports, um, posted that in his most recent article. So yeah, there's definitely some teams to watch out for John Collins, but... I don't know if Phoenix, again, if they trade for Kuzma, if they trade for John Collins, they're going to have to commit at least $100 million to that position. But again, I, I think what you're saying, Eric, is along the right 
thinking that, okay, at least if they're getting a crowd on and Cam Johnson, and they were planning on paying Cam Johnson anyway, that money would just go to one of them. Right. Well, Kuzma, at least <clears throat> they would have the option. Let's say that the team sells before July. So free agency is in July. So let's say they sell in you know, April. Lock it in. New owners come in. They make that decision. If you trade for Kuzma, at least at that point, the new owners could make that decision. Whereas with John Collins, you're locked in. That's such a huge investment. Mm-hmm. So I and I know, look, I don't want to. Um, I, I there's a lot of people who have information in this league, and they don't always match what I hear. And so I don't want to disparage or discount what someone else is saying because I know they do great work. So um, is, you know, would the would the Suns go after? Uh, John Collins, maybe so. Um, it doesn't align with the intel that I have. Uh, but then, you know, maybe they view him as an asset. And maybe, maybe, you know, I just know it's an issue. I, I, I know it's an issue, them taking on money. I don't know. Again, it's like uh, uh, predicting a basketball game. It's like I can tell you the matchups, what their final decisions are, how they, what path they choose to take. That we're going to have to wait and see. But one of the concerns is that they may not want to take on money. And so uh, like going with, you know, and, and I had reported on 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 the. Uh, the Crowder stuff as well, and from what I understood, it was Eric Gordon and, and K.J. Martin and uh, K.J. Martin has a team option. And if they opt him in, he's very cheap. If they opt him out, they can resign him as a restricted free agent, which is what I would recommend uh, for any team who who has KJ uh, to make sure you take care, advantage of his restricted rights. Uh, but then Gordon has a decent amount of money next year, but it's non guaranteed uh, unless he's like an all star or something like that. So uh, I could see why the Suns, you're, if you're adding in Gordon and uh, Martin, you're basically getting someone in Gordon that you can flat out cut or trade. Or, and you're with Martin. Yeah, you wouldn't you wouldn't trade him to opt him out and let him go, but you would opt him out to keep him. But he's probably a reasonable price. To he's probably not a twenty million dollar guy at this point. He's probably in the low low, call it ten, twelve, thirteen, fourteen say million dollars. Exception, just above. You, normally, if you're keeping a free agent of your own, you want to pay them. Obviously, you want to pay them. You know, teams generally want to pay as low as possible. But generally, the market for your own guy to prevent them from leaving is to pay them just above what other teams can pay. Most other teams have about the mid-level. That's going to be about 11 next year, 11 million. So you, maybe you pay him 12 to 13, 14, 15, whatever it is. Uh, some teams are more generous when it comes to just giving out contracts. Some teams are very stingy and, and make players feel a little uncomfortable and, ha- you know, uh, there, there's a lot that goes into those sort of things. So, um, but I, you know, I do think the Suns are a fascinating team to watch. And I don't necessarily believe they're going to reinvest in Cam Johnson, but then they, you know, it was it was not clear if they were going to reinvest in DeAndre Ayton either. And we're also making assumptions on Cam Johnson based on current leadership. And as they, you know, the, as they sell, uh, I don't think James Jones would pay to keep Cam Johnson if the price was too high at the right price. Sure, sure. But we 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 have no idea what new leadership looks like. Um, I I would hope that James Jones, who's you know. I've known I, I don't know him well, but I've known him uh, since his days as a player. I hope he retains his position. Sometimes when ownership comes in, they uh, change out the front office. Uh, so uh, not suggesting that he would or should go, but we just don't know what the future holds. So, um, you know, it, 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 the Suns are an interesting team to watch. 
Suns definitely interesting. Another team that's definitely interesting is is actually let's talk about two teams that you wrote about. Two teams that could potentially become sellers. Who, I mean, it's the Chicago Bulls and the Toronto Raptors. Raptors. The Bulls obviously just not underwent a rebuild, but they weren't. They were a lottery bound team that pushed in their chips to keep Zach Levine there. They traded for Nikola Vucevic, missed the playoffs. Then they signs Lonzo Ball in a signing trade, and then also did a signing trade for DeMar DeRozan, if I'm remembering correctly. But Perfect. obviously, it's it hasn't worked out so far this year. Lonzo Ball, scary knee injury. Obviously, we're all wishing him a quick recovery and hoping he can get back on the, corn, on the court sooner rather than later. But with so much up in the air with them, they just talked in Zach Levine. I mean, is it potential? And again, the biggest issue with the Bulls, I mentioned it early in this episode, I believe I read it from Casey Johnson of NBC Sports Chicago. Even if the Bulls finish with the worst record in the NBA, there's only a 52% chance they keep their pick because it's only top four protected. And there's a 48% chance it falls out of the top four with the worst record. Mm-hmm. So let's say they finish with the fourth or fifth worst record. Odds of them keeping that pick is so small. So small. It's like, do they just keep their chips, see how Lonzo's recovery goes? And then if this time next year, they have all these guys on the contract still. The issue would be Vucevic isn't expiring. So maybe you just trade Vucevic this year, retain DeRozan and Levine until next season when you have your own picks again. Because I know they owe the Spurs for the DeRozan sign trade, but I believe that's slightly protected to the point where it could become two seconds if they decide to blow it up. Unfortunately, I don't know if there's protections off the top of my head. But um, but yeah, the Bulls, definitely interesting. There's been speculation the Lakers would be willing to obviously part with those 27-29 first and attach Westbrook to it to get DeRozan and Vucevic. There's speculation Zach Levine could be available. And then with the Raptors, there's Gary Trent Jr. and Fred Van Vliet. Both who have player options will likely opt out at the end of the year. And then Siakaman and Obi, I believe, are expiring at the end of next year. So if both of, both of these teams are hovering a, around or below 500, Chicago's, again, more difficult because they have the protected pick that they owe to Orlando. That Orlando trade, obviously, for Busevich ends up looking great where they got Franz Wagner and now they're potentially getting another high pick. But uh, I think Toronto's more fascinating out of the two because Masai Ujiri, I think he's one of the best GMs in the league. I, I think whatever he do, he'll definitely try to get fair value. But again, I, the Toronto thing is interesting because I did do a thread on Twitter where I did 16 Fred Van Vliet trades and basically did just a trade machine simulation of just an idea of what Van Vliet would go for. And you responded to me because I quoted something you posted in the article regarding an Orlando speculation. And you said to me, or you tweet, you tweeted back at me and said, well, this is under the assumption that Van Vliet doesn't have the intention of resigning or Toronto doesn't want to resign him. So it's interesting to see. I, I agree with you that I believe Gary Trent Jr. is far more likely to go. Just because if he ups out, I, I don't know what Toronto's really going to want to pay him. He doesn't really fit their MO of a long, forward, six foot eight type guy that, you know, they typically covet. So I, I'm interested to see what Toronto does. But so what, what do you think of those two teams as sellers, Chicago and Toronto? All right. Well, uh, let's, I guess let's work from uh, the Chicago side first. So I, I'll just say that uh, I wrote an article. 
feel like last Saturday, which is roughly the 10th. Uh, I I think that's when it when, whenever it went live. And it was analyzing that there are some clear sellers that we're pretty well aware of. Like it, it's clear that Boyan Bogdanovich could become uh, a, a piece that the Pistons basically cash out. Yeah, they could keep him. Uh, the Hornets, we could debate um, because they don't believe in tanking, yet they're like the worst team in the league or one of them. Um, but mostly that's because of injury to LaMelo and, and et cetera, et cetera. Um, the Rockets with Eric Gordon, the Spurs maybe with Jakob Pertl, whether they keep him or not. Uh, it's not hard to see who the sellers are. Uh, at the time, the Magic with you know, Mo Bamba uh, and maybe uh, Gary Harris and Terrence Ross. The Magic, since I wrote the article have won five straight, uh, including uh, beating Boston. Whereas the Wizards and the Bulls and the Raptors, who were the three sellers that I focused on as the, are they selling? That's what teams who are buying, which are all the teams that feel like they have a chance to win. Uh, in the East, I don't know how many buyers that we have because you really have two dominant teams, uh, two and a half if you count the Cavs. Uh, and certainly you can count the Nets in that if you'd like. Uh, the Sixers, there are other teams that are among the best, but I don't know if like how big of a buyer are the Hawks, how big of a buyer are the Heat are, you know, I think they're, but they're closer to buyers than they are sellers. Whereas in the West, there is no dominant team. Uh, <clears throat> certainly the Grizzlies are playing tremendously, the Pelicans, uh, but the Warriors who everyone expects, you know, won a championship, they're, under 500 they've been playing they were playing better but Steph now has a shoulder injury etc so the west is more wide open so in analyzing like you have all these teams in the west who are looking for for sellers and the teams that they're looking at and wondering specifically are the teams that we've been discussing the wizards we've already talked about the bulls and the raptors and so since i wrote that the the t things have not gotten better <laughs> for the Raptors and for the Bulls. Uh, the Raptors, as of right now, have lost four straight. The Bulls have lost three straight. They are both under 500. They are both flirting with the bottom of the play-in bubble, uh, where you know teams like the Heat have sort of stabilized, which you I pretty well expect. Uh, I don't think the Hawks are great, but they're they're solid enough. Uh, I know they've got some injuries as well. So at some point they'll get DeJounte Murray back and some other players back and should be even better. Uh, the Sixers have stabilized. They've been kind of iffy, certainly with uh, injuries. They had James Harden out for a while. He's back. And the Nets were complete chaos with all the stuff that went on with Kyrie and have now uh, you know, gotten their stuff together as well. So uh, that just looks, you look at the Bulls and you say, you gave... I think two firsts and Wendell Carter Jr. to get Vucevic. Vucevic. You gave up uh, draft compensation to get Lonzo and and uh, and Demar, and you still owe picks. Specifically, uh, they owe the Orlando pick, as you mentioned, with uh, light protection. Then they owe uh, the San Antonio pick has uh, decent protection, top ten, top eight, and it's protected through twenty twenty eight. So. Um, these are, uh, and that's two years after the obligation. They do have a Portland pick, uh, in this draft, uh, provided that the Blazers make the playoffs, uh, and the Blazers are, um, currently projected to make the playoffs. Uh, but you know, who knows, uh, certainly not the best team in the league, but they are solid enough that 
the Bulls probably get a pick in this draft, but they don't have their own unless they're absolutely terrible and lucky, as you mentioned, because even then it's 50-50. I would argue, and if you canvass the league and you asked you know, all the GMs in the league it, it, what Chicago should do, I would say most believe that if you are going to risk it, this is the year to do so because of the upside of Victor Wemanyama, because he is a cornerstone piece that people believe would be uh, arguably a cross between Tim Duncan and Kevin Durant. Mm -hmm. That's kind of how he's projected to be, which is, you know, insane. Like basically the, the low, the was it the low floor of a Tim Duncan. And then that ceiling as a scorer, you know, Duncan was an incredible player. I'm not in any way, but Durant is a much flashier player than Duncan. Duncan won consistently over 20 years, however long he was in the league, the Spurs were always either a top contender or among them because of Duncan. Uh, but there's no question that Kobe, uh, LeBron, guys who are bigger, more uh, explosive scorers, bigger personalities, KD, et cetera. And they, they look at women Yama with his uh, personality and they think that he's both a marketable player, uh, star plus a dirt like a, a duncan like reliable star that's what their projection is who knows he's you know just a kid playing in in, in france or uh whatever um so and then you also have scoot uh scoot uh, henderson i was gonna the, say i feel bad for scoot henderson because well, any he's other year be he's the consensus yeah but i mean he'll be number two and he's gonna get well paid and he's gonna go uh, to a team that is probably not good which will give him the opportunity to play in theory. And then there's also uh, a list of, of, of players that are very, very good in this draft of which um, I have my students. I don't watch college sports much at all. I wish I had more time. It's just a, a bandwidth thing. So I'm relying on my, I, I always rely on others to do the scouting for me. Um, and I, I do a lot of research with those scouts. And right now I have my students preparing uh, former SBC students, alumni. We have a blog. Uh, and they're preparing. Uh, we we had uh, Amen Thompson, one of the Thompson twins. Mm -hmm. uh, we have uh, Cam Whitmore. Isn't I have one of my students working on that. You Another just came is, back from injury to Cam Whitmore. Right. And he's the greatest. So you just go down the list. I, we're gonna have um, by the time we get to February, March, April. You know, obviously March Madness and all that. I we should have uh, a book at this point of of top prospects where I can have, um, you know, I can look at it and, and make sense of it. But this is a great year to be in the, in the draft. So the other aspect is, is that, you know, as you mentioned, uh, Vucevic has to um, either resign or leave as a free agent. Number one, he can leave and go on his own way. And they have no say in that. If he leaves, he can extend, which is reasonable um, or um, they could trade him. So either he signs and stays as a free agent leaves uh or is traded technically it could be a sign and trade uh later but you get the point these are the kind of variables uh and they gave up a lot to get him uh i don't think they did their research on lonzo as great a player as he is as a role player as a defender uh he hasn't been healthy uh his entire career i, I covered him with lakers and he was always hurt over the summer he was never able to work on his game uh and you know i i really value what he brings it's just you know one of those unfortunate things that i i just think he's closer to a Brandon Roy. I don't know how well you remember Brandon Roy, but he yes. was an all-star and then his body gave up at a premature. You know, it, it's normal for a player in the 30 to 35 range for their body to just start to break down and not 
just not be the same. And it's it's frustrating, but we see it happen. And you, the best players in the world, their careers come and go. It's rare when it happens to a player who's 25, 26, 27, mm-hmm. but it does happen. And I'm really hoping that's not the case with Lonzo because I would I think the league is better with him. Uh, but I look at the Bulls roster and you've got Lonzo and Caruso offsetting the fact that I don't know about fact, but the take that Zach and DeMar and Vooch are not good defensive players. Uh, in his day, DeMar was a good defender, I would say. I would not say he was ever like a an excellent defender, but at his age and where he is, I think he's probably more adequate than good. And then Zach is more uh, borderline adequate. Um, and Vooch is not uh, really a you know based on the way that the game is played uh, uh, a binary center is generally picked on in this league uh, by teams that certainly like the Raptors they destroy teams that have true centers uh, that can only play center and um, so we'll you know we'll have to see I don't like their like Patrick Williams hasn't developed enough Kobe White really hasn't developed enough uh, who on this team needs to be on the Bulls in three years like who, you know, I mean, like you look at the Mavericks and you say, well, Luca needs to be on the Mavericks in three years if you're a Mavericks fan. If you look at the, you, the Bucks, yeah. right, like mm-hmm. there's a lot of players you could say, yeah, we need to have Zion, we need to have Ingram, we need to have et cetera, et cetera. If you're a fan of that team, you can go down team by team. If you're Denver, it's Jokic. If you're Cleveland, it's Garland and Mitchell and Allen and, and Mobley. Like you see, there's a core there. Yeah. Those guys should be on the team. Uh, but I don't I mean, I don't know anyone on this Bulls roster that I look at. You could say, well, I'd like to see what Daylon Terry is. You know, you start to say, well, maybe it's time to see what this team can be. So that's the perspective of other teams. But none of that matters unless it's the perspective of the Bulls. Mm-hmm. And teams tend to hold on to what they have for too long. I'm a big believer personally in my philosophy on how to build a team and how to run a team is to sell earlier than later. It's better to sell too early than it is to sell too late. Get value when value's high instead of holding on too long and watching your players fall off, your team fall off, injuries happen. And maybe you could oh, you could always look back and second guess, oh, maybe if we kept it together, we would have kept winning. But more often than not, you're chasing an inside straight. If you know poker, it's a bet that, yeah, every so often you'll hit an inside straight. More often than not, you will not. And it's a bad bet and you shouldn't be chasing in them uh and every it, the few times you do and you hit that just feeds into the false belief that inside straights are a good bet i don't think i, th- I look at the bulls and that's that's all they are they're an inside straight and it, it's just unfortunate i would recommend they go in a different direction uh because i don't think you can you know unless vooch is going to come back at a low price uh, and that might be the case but even then like how do they get to the next step so it, again it, just because i don't see it doesn't mean it doesn't exist they may have an idea of how they can get to the next step and maybe they can execute that. I don't see how this team as constructed ever gets better than being mediocre. And if being mediocre is the worst thing, either you want to be terrible or you want to be elite, they're flat out middle of the pack. And that's not good. Like getting the 10th pick, eighth pick in the draft every year, 12th pick, 14th pick. Those are not, that's a tough one. If you're every year, you're getting that. And that's kind of where I see them. And then you asked about the Raptors, who to me are are not what we just described. Like they they have a philosophy. They have a team that is not perfect. But we you described like how Gary Trent doesn't necessarily fit. Like they're 
they're tall, rangy athletes who just come in waves mm-hmm. with uh, defense and athleticism. And yes, they're they're facing you know, age. Like Kyle Lowry aged out basically for them, so they moved on. Uh, Kawhi left, um, but this is a, a championship concept that doesn't necessarily have all the pieces that they want to get to that championship. Uh, maybe they're one or two piece away from being uh, among the best teams in this league. Now, I don't know if they're a piece or two away from being the Celtics or the Bucks, but they're not that far off from being three or four in the East. Whereas the Bulls, I don't see how they are mm-hmm. at any point with who, how they're constructed. The, you know, and again, it's all subjective, uh, but that's my view on them. And that's a lot of uh, how other teams view them. People look at the Raptors and are legit like, yeah, there's enough there that they are a scary team if they get their stuff together. But as you mentioned in the lead up, Fred Van Vliet is player option. Gary Trent's a player option. They can both leave. Siakam is expiring after 23-24. And then OG is, he has a player option for 24-25. So you assume that he's going to opt out. And so um, rule of thumb it's more difficult to trade a player in their last year of their deal. You're relying on the incoming team in a trade to be able to work out that handshake agreement that we mentioned earlier. That's not even legal and non-binding. If you trade somebody when they have two years left, now that team is going to have a year to develop them. They have more flexibility. It's easier to work out an extension or if an extension isn't in market value, it's easier to, to get to that point or it's easier to, at least say, okay, it didn't work. And now we have another year to then flip them to somewhere else. Mm-hmm. So if you're going to trade Siakam and I'm not saying they do, but this is the time to start seriously. Cause if you wait till the summer, then he's just an expiring. And then it's like, well, the other team, at least his number is high enough that an extension makes a lot of sense. He's at 37 million, 38 million next year. So to extend him, there's a limit to what you can extend. It's only a, up to 120%. Uh, given he's making so much he might not even be able to get all of that like he you know he, that might be too much 120 percent because he can't make more than the max i'd have to look at the at his years of service and uh and what the projected numbers are uh but say and same thing with og but og isn't if og's kind of in the kuzma range where he's at 19 which is still a lot of money but he may be thinking he's going to get closer to 30 and if he can only uh one more caveat we don't have a new we don't have a cba yet for next year Mm -hmm. uh so well technically we do they could opt in to have it uh but they're going to opt out most likely the league or the the mbpa the union and so there could be changes in rules that's another aspect that we don't know and that could be reason enough to keep siakam and ananobi maybe if you're the raptors maybe it's like so in the article i made it clear that like of the teams between washington chicago and then toronto the raptors are the least likely to go that route they're the most likely to decide it's worth keeping together and they may decide to keep fred van vliet just like they kept kyle lowry longer than maybe they should have but then kyle was sort of at that point he was kind of king of you know king of the country at that point having you know like he was the you know the the piece that yes Kawhi was the best player but the heart of that team and the one who was still there and had been there for a long time was kyle so paying him was, you know, beyond just uh, on court uh, with Fred. He's been a part of that, too, you know, and he's a huge part of. So I don't know where they are on Fred uh, and OG. I 
part of me looks at the at the Raptors and says they're going to build around Scotty Barnes and OG is young enough that he might fit that. But then he also he may not want to stick around for this. Maybe he wants to be uh, maybe if, if the team's being built around Scotty and OG wants the team to be built around him, maybe there's conflict. I don't know. I know that there's been some some buzz. Uh, specifically Jake Fisher, who uh, it was with Bleacher, uh, one of my colleagues uh, and a friend. Uh, he wrote, as well. Yeah, and so he wrote last year that OG, there was some talk about him moving on. And I've heard that to be at least a consideration. Uh, I don't know if the Raptors are actively willing to commit to that, but it's from what I've understood, it's at least a... It's not a no. It's not a absolutely not. Like if you were uh, Dallas and someone said, would you trade Luca? The answer is absolutely not. Right. I don't think that's OG with the Raptors. It's not like a, there's no way. No, it's not. A, there's no way. But I don't know if it's something they're eager to do either because he does fit more what they're doing. And, and then to wrap it up, I think Trent is somebody that they're not going to invest in. That's the buzz that I've heard. I've heard that he's more readily available. So even if they aren't a team that's a seller, like the Bulls may be a seller. The Wizards may trade Kuzma, maybe not. Um, but of all of those, you know, of the three teams, maybe the most gettable player is 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 Gary Trent. So I just think they're less likely to invest in him. And uh, because of that, you're better off getting value. Just like, you know, it's why lose somebody for nothing? And yes, he's a good player. Um, but he's just a little bit more of a luxury for that team because they do have OG. They do have they have wings to spare and maybe they can get somebody who you could argue they could use a center. Uh, you could argue they could certainly use maybe a, if they are moving on from Fred, maybe they can get a point guard who can fit their long-term needs. I don't know what the, you know, I thought about um, certainly you mentioned the magic and I had you know, heard that there's some interest in Fred Van Vliet on the Orlando side. He would be kind of like a, an interesting veteran who's still young enough who could help, They've got a nice young core there with Wagner. Actually, uh, Mo Wagner's playing well too, uh, mm-hmm. but Franz Wagner, um, uh, obviously Ben Caro, uh, Wendell Carter. I believe Mo Bamba's available. Uh, there's been a flirtation previously with Mo Bamba and the Raptors, so I could see how there might be some interest there. I don't know if they would love or necessarily crave a Gary Harris or a, um, uh, uh, Terrence Ross, but there are multiple team trades where mm-hmm. maybe they can get Mobamba and maybe they could start to sort of retool and get Cole Anthony. If you can get Cole Anthony and Mobamba and you're Toronto, it's a change. Yeah. But maybe Cole Anthony, I, Cole is never going to be the defensive player that Fred Van Vliet was uh, in his prime and certainly is still a very good defensor, defensive player. But, um, you know, change is inevitable. I have, I have no idea what the, the execution will be. I don't know that the Raptors are willing to go that far. I just, I, I think of the three, they're the least likely to, to make that kind of leap. Okay. So yeah, I did in the article, you did say something on that was like call Anthony, Mo Bamba, Gary Harris. And then I know you tweeted at me when I had the thread and said they'd have to, and I agree with you that they most likely would have to include draft compensation. So yeah, it'll be interesting to see where Toronto goes again. And Anobi and Siakam, I know you did say, that, you know, you get more value before the contract year occurs. But not only that, Siakam and Anobi both having career years. Though Siakam, I know he missed a little bit of time, but if you look at Siakam, I don't know. Siakam was that did have that one second all-NBA season team. So maybe 
it wouldn't be a career year for him, but both of them are playing really well right now. So value for both of them, very high. Along with Van Vliet starting to put it together, I know he's been in a shooting slump to start the year, but I don't think any team acquiring him would hold it against him. So two more quick tidbits I want to get to. The first one is the Golden State Warriors. You mentioned in your one article the question that a lot of people are asking. And again, let me say with a caveat that you published this before Steph Curry got the shoulder injury that's likely I read going to keep him out four to six weeks. So basically the assumption, or not the assumption, but what you wrote was, are they going to cash in on the youth of James Wiseman, Moses Moody, Jonathan Kaminga for a veteran guy to really make another run and another championship? But now Steph Curry's out for four to six weeks. I don't think, I mean, I don't know. I think they might be lottery bound again. Maybe it's too extreme because Jordan Poole is inadequate. He's obviously no Steph Curry, but it's not like they don't have any sort of replacement for him. I'm not sure. They're sitting at 14 and 16, I believe. So I don't know. I, I think maybe they do trade Wiseman because I personally myself was never a Wiseman fan, so I might be a little biased. And I think I put in our show notes here something about I believe Sam Bassini from The Athletic brought it up. Uh, James Wiseman for Mason Plumley swap. Where the Hornets could get their hmm. potential center of the future, take a shot on him. Ugh. But I, I don't know. I don't love it. I think you could still, somebody Oof. would pay more for Wiseman. I love Sam, but I don't like that. Yeah, no. I, I just <laughs> threw it out great. there because I just great. heard it. But um, The issue there is like Plumley is is later in his career. He is not what I would call like a high value player. Uh, and then he's, is he that much better than Looney? He's really not that much better than Looney. Uh, I had written on, uh, gosh, this was a couple weeks ago. I'm, I'm time is a little fuzzy. Like I have an article on bleacher. Uh, if you follow me on Twitter at Eric Pincus, E R I C P I N C U S, uh, you can see my, my tweets and whatnot. And I have, uh, a few tweets that kind of compile everything I've been working on. I've got a lot that I've been putting out there. Uh, some on sports business classroom uh, that kind of breaks down and sets up trade season. But one of the articles I wrote was just sort of the, the league at, at large. Uh, I wrote just a few days ago that kind of summarizes uh, the names to keep an eye on uh, potential players who are either available. Certainly some of the names we've talked about to others that, maybe aren't available, but teams are wondering. For instance, Kyrie, uh, Miles Turner, guys who are currently not available, but maybe whether they are or aren't at any point, teams are still looking at them as potential targets. I don't know how many teams are looking at Kyrie, maybe just the Lakers uh, because of you know off-court stuff. But uh, in the case of the Warriors, I wrote, I think a few weeks ago, about their pursuit uh, or their potential pursuit of Jay Crowder and Jakob Pertl as sort of a combination of like, they can't necessarily give up these young pieces for just any player, but Pertl could be somebody that um, could be sort of, sort of reminiscent of Andrew Bogut mm -hmm. uh, of, of that kind of concept of what they had for a year. They always had, they had Zaza, they had legit sized centers that were backed up by Looney and Draymond. And that was how they would consistently win. And so putting Draymond at center too much sort of um, maybe diminishes the uniqueness of what he is. And then Looney, who's a very, very good role player, uh, may be better in that kind of spot 
situation versus a, a starting role. So that, you know, theoretically, and then Crowder would give them another wing defender who can also shoot a bit and not a great shooter, but certainly streaky, but also a guy who's been to the finals and, and has tremendous experience. Uh, and those are win now moves, but it would also be that Pirtle's young enough that you can keep and reinvest in versus someone like Plumlee, who's based, you know, if you reinvest in him, sure, he'd probably be cheaper. And maybe from a, maybe he's a better choice from a money point of view that he maybe he's like 5 million next year. If that uh, versus somebody like Pirtle who, may end up needing at least 12 to 20 million. I don't know where he's going to fall on the spectrum, uh, but he's going to get at least probably get 16, 17 million dollars. Who knows? I, you know, we'll have to wait and see. Uh, so I, I don't know about like Wiseman for like the Warriors are sort of victim to their own. Um, what's the right word? Their own sales pitch, right? Like they have made it clear that they are a unique team and a special team that is going to show that you can not only win championships, but you can rebuild at the same time and never have that dip other than, you know, the injury dip that they had when clay was hurt and Steph was somewhat hurt and et cetera, et cetera. So, uh, and, and them winning last year, this last season, they just sort of reinforced what they believe. Mm -hmm. But this year since has shown that, yes, it's, it's nice in theory, but there's a reason why teams don't do that. There's a, you know, they're paying an arm and a leg. They're paying more money than anybody in NBA history has ever paid. Is it the way to do it? And so, uh, yes, Steph is hurt. If you can get reinforcements that can keep this team competitive, they're probably correct in believing that as long as they are top 10, they're going to make the playoffs and potentially win a title. Now, the title part we could debate the making the playoffs part. I think like, yeah, the Lakers beat the Warriors a couple of years back in a, in a one game playoff, but that was like, again, that was not quite the Warriors yet. And um, I think the Warriors are, are still in a position where if they tread water, as long as they're top 10, they, they think they're fine. But if they really want to be, you know, they, they, did not replace Gary Payton the second. They did not, and, and I know he's been hurt all year. It's immaterial. They didn't replace him, and they didn't replace Otto Porter Jr. And so their depth is thin, and then that taxes your starters, and and you're relying on your rotation to do more than what it can do, and you're relying on guys who maybe you can't necessarily fill those roles. It's not putting the young guys in the best position. Like the Kumingas and the Moody's would look better with better depth around them because. Mm -hmm. They're not it, you want to put young players in a position to succeed, let them thrive, but not rely on them if you can. And or at least rely on them to win like you can rely on them in Houston. Right. Like go rely on Jalen Green. Go rely on on all those young dudes, uh, Jabari, all that. Let them fail, but let them learn. Well, that you can't do in, in, in with the Warriors. You can let the, you, you can't let them fail. Because the team has to make the playoffs and has to try to win. But you really only learn through failure. That's just unfortunate fact of life. I mean, certainly you can learn by success as well. Failure, unfortunately, in life tends to be a better teacher. And it's just the nature of life. It's maturity. It's, you know, just human nature that, um, you know, if you only succeed, maybe sometimes you don't, you're not building the same muscles of, of, of strength that you, you know, you want to avoid. I, 
Austin Reeves. I was at the game or I, I follow the Lakers closely. I was at the game last night. I cover them uh, up close and he missed a, you know, he, he, he got a foul, got three free throws and hit two of three, which is like, he's a 90% free throw shooter. One of the best free throw shooters in the league bump percentage hits two of three and misses a third. And then, you know, and then AD misses a free throw, another story, but they lose a game that maybe they should have won, or maybe they should have lost in the first place, but uh, then they should have won after they should have lost. Uh, but for someone like Austin, yeah, he's hit some game winners and you learn from that, but he's probably going to learn more from missing that free throw than the other. So that's, that's where the warriors, they can't lose a play in game because, Moody misses a free throw kind of idea or Wiseman is just not ready yet and it takes big guys longer to develop it, it takes sometimes four or five years and especially when you're getting an 18 19 20 year old kid it's it's a lot to ask who and didn't he, really play in college either sorry yeah. I don't want to interrupt you but he no did, of course he only played like four or five games at Memphis and then yeah. and um, he's yeah so now if you're another team like if you're the Rockets or the Spurs. The Spurs are a great example. If they could swap out Hurdle for Wiseman, and they are flat out going for Wembenyama, right? The next Tim Duncan slash KD. Mm-hmm. Uh, let Wiseman in there. Let him learn. Let him fail. The team right now, the Spurs have the worst point differential in the league. They're getting beat by about ten points a game, roughly. Okay, so. Wiseman's not going to make them worse. <laughs> if he does, that's even better. You know what I mean? Like go mm-hmm. get, but let him develop and let him play 30, 40 games. However, whenever you make this trade that I'm not saying exists, I'm saying our theoretical trade, Yeah. Uh, let him develop, let him fail. Let the Spurs figure out what he can do, figure out what he can't do. Take that information into the summer, work out with him on what now, because you have a big game sample of what he can and can't do work on what he needs to develop, work on that with the coaches who are going to develop him for years to come. That makes a lot more sense than what the Warriors can do because they can't, they just can't play with him and they can't lose with him. They can't let him suffer and fail. And I don't know if he's a good player or not, Uh, but he has tremendous measurables. He's a giant has real potential to be a player in this league, but he's just sort of withering in this situation. And I think that's some of the hubris that the warriors have perhaps that they can do everything all at once and maybe they're right and prove me wrong. Uh, but I think there's real sense in them cashing out. And I, I wouldn't cash out for Plumley because I think Plumley is uh, what you would say at this point is um, Jag, just a guy, yeah. you know what I mean? Now he, is he, is he better than some? Absolutely. Is he worth giving up a number one pick, a recent number one pick? I, now you can maybe if you say Charlotte is also giving them Kelly Ubre or something, if they can make that money. I work. mean, they've already done the Ubre thing. I'm I don't just, know. Yeah. You know what I mean? PJ like, Washington, maybe. PJ expects to get paid, and from what I've told, he expects to get paid in the twenties, mm-hmm. and he's a backup center, power forward. So I wouldn't recommend PJ because I don't think their budget's going to work for PJ. Unless they just have some, if they look at him and say like, he's our guy and we're going to invest in him. Sure. But understand that like, you probably can get Pirtle at a much better price. And Pirtle is much more defined in his role and what he can do and what he can't do. Uh, Pirtle is not a good free throw shooter, but he's a flat out, like one of the best rebounders in the league. Yep. Yeah. He's a, he can block shots. He's low maintenance. He's a role player through and through. 
He's on level, maybe not identical to Zubats. Like Zubats can hit free throws, but like their Zubats is similar-ish in that no, there's no team that will ever have Zubats and feel like they don't have uh, a great young player who's going to do whatever's asked, come off the bench, start, take on a huge role, get 30 touches in a game, get two touches in a game, and not complain. You know what I mean? Like, I don't know where PJ Washington is on that, but I think he's a young player still discovering himself. And um, so, you know, you, I don't know exactly the answer. You know, certainly you could debate Terry Rozier, but he makes 20 something million dollars a year as well. And they have pool and they have Curry and they have clay. So I don't know if he fits. So again, but you could start to get into multi-team trades yeah, and, always. you know, maybe there's a, a piece somewhere out there, uh, Jay Crowder, Jakob Pertl is the idea in my mind of what would work for the Warriors. I don't know where they are. And certainly they wouldn't be honest if I asked because they'll just say, oh, we're not going to trade our young guys. That's that's the that's the the message that they put out. Doesn't mean it's true. It just, you know, certainly teams are, you know, we have the G I'm going to Vegas uh, this week to the G League showcase. I'll be there all week. And it's it's um, really where the the the. Uh, pathways to the trade deadline are set uh trade season starts technically unofficially whatever on december 15th when most free agents who are signed can be traded but uh the reality is is that uh well so teams are very unlikely to make a trade that they can't execute in a month you're not going to say okay in a month we'll we have a deal we'll execute it in four weeks because in four weeks who knows what's going to happen like you know for the lakers we're sitting here in like a Schrodinger's cat situation. Where we don't know if he's even hurt badly or not for Steph. You have the shoulder injury. You go team by team. And it's like, you just have no clue like what's going to happen. So the reason why there are so few trades after the season starts before December 15th is that it has to be just the players that are available. And then because of that, there's not like teams aren't going to be able to scour the entire market because it's rare when you just have two teams say, oh, let's do a deal. Usually it's like, okay, we have a, a, a concept. Now let's go see if we can get a better deal somewhere else. But mm -hmm. if those teams can't trade those players until December 15th, they're not, you can't agree to anything that you're going to execute in a month. So maybe on December 13th, you can have a deal that maybe you execute in two days. Like that's reasonable December 12th. But by the time you get to a, a week, December 8th, no, no one's making a deal that you'll make in a week or two weeks. Cause you just don't know. So now you get to December 15th and then the showcase is about to start. So everybody I think has a sense of who's available in the market. They have a feel for what teams might do, but it's more rumor and innuendo and maybe direct discussion. But now you actually are in person and you can sit and talk with that person. You can have a meal with that person. You can watch a game with that person, or maybe even get a salon, one of the small rooms they have at the hotel over Mandalay Bay, and have an actual meeting with your, you know, a sit down. Let's go sit and talk for an hour or two. Those are the kind of conversations that that ha that go on. And coming out of that, then you get maybe one or two trades in December, one or two trades in January. But you lay the foundations for, you know, everybody always wants more. They think they can do better. So they wait until the last minute because they think that, you know, why take this now? Because we'll get better. Then they don't. And then they panic and then they make a deal at the end uh, when they realize, like, they're just not going to get better. Uh, but sometimes you get a deal or two. Last year, the, the, the reason why there were no trades in January, uh, December, in my opinion, last year uh, is because 
uh, we had the pandemic. There were there was uh, a massive COVID spike in the NBA, and GMs were frantically just trying to get rosters of eight active players, let alone make a trade. Teams were just not focused on trades. Like Tommy Shepard of the uh, Wizards was literally trying to find a basketball player within like you know 200 miles or something of the arena so that they would feasibly be able to drive in just to get to eight players yeah a gm doing that is not trying to make a trade and they certainly weren't hanging out in vegas uh watching you know scouting g league prospects when they were trying to actively sign those prospects they were already relying on their scouts to say who do at that point they didn't even care like i mean certainly they cared but like some of the decisions weren't even based on like you're a body who is a human being, athlete, basketball player with a pulse. We need you to show up at the arena. Yeah. It was a wonderful time for of opportunity for the G League. It's great. Um, but uh, uh, because of that, there was like one third the usual capacity at the showcase. And so we just didn't have like you didn't have 10 GMs or rather 30 GMs or 28 GMs or whatever it is. You had like five GMs or six GMs and maybe they were only there for a day or two. So that's why last year was uh, thin. I've, I'm told that I sh we should expect a very full G League showcase this week with a lot of, a lot of conversations. So the, the fruits of that will be uh, fun for us as fans of the game who enjoy the front office side of it and want to see how trades are constructed and how teams, you know, like I said, you know, we, we describe the matchups, and we love watching the games. And so that's really what we get to see soon. You know, how does this play out? And I'm always looking forward to it. I enjoy what I do and and uh, always enjoy covering this stuff. Yeah, no, definitely. Um, trade deadline is always a fun time. Even if, like, you're not in the front office aspect of it, just seeing players get moved to your favorite team, it's I, – I think I've always enjoyed it even before I really started to dig deep into the front office. So NBA fans could definitely um, be excited for that. The last thing I just want to mention before we go, um, Eric, you may have another um, something you want to add. I don't want to take too much more of your time, but I I'm looking at your um, what you put together on Sports Business Classroom's website with every team's not cap sheets, but you know how the tax sheet that you put together. Everyone can look at it to follow along at sportsbusinessclassroom.com. But like, the, I'm a Sixers fan, so I'm going to use them as an example. They're $1.1 over the tax, and by getting all the tax, it saves them $16 million. Just uh, I mean, uh, rough numbers. That was just yeah. one projection. Exactly. But yeah. in that range. But, but either way, that's a, either way, it's a substantial amount of money. Um, So, like, for Sixers, yes, you can salary match to get a trade done, but they're going to do everything they can to try to get – I. Very rarely, at least what I've noticed, you could correct me if I'm wrong, a team that close to getting out of the tax is going to find a way to get out of the tax at the end of the day. Uh, that would be historically accurate. Okay. Um, the year that it wasn't accurate was the year where very few, it was soon after 26, 2017, where uh, teams were just, they couldn't get it. They couldn't get over the tax if they wanted uh, when we had the TV spike. Mm -hmm. um, and I think that resulted in it was actually it bled into 1920 where the tax kickback. So basically the teams that are over the tax pay into this pool. Yeah. Half of that money goes to the league. Half goes back to the teams mm -hmm. who are under the tax. So let's say that you have 25 teams that are over. Sorry, you have five teams that are over. You have 25 that are under. Yeah. The five that are over 
are basically paying money out to those 25 that are under. In 2019-20, the total that was kicked back was $200,000 or just under, which is nothing, relatively speaking. So we had some teams that year that were willing to stay over. Then the next year, it wasn't that much either. It was in the $3 million range, which is not nothing, but it was enough that, eh, you know, like Milwaukee certainly was not going to jump up. They were only over by about 800000 They have a team that's winning a title. They're not going to pinch pennies at that point. Yeah. But this year, based on the Warriors tax bill. So that's last year, just for reference, insane. last year was about $10 million, $10.5 That's a substantial number. Yep. Um, it's worth going under. It, it's worth getting out of the tax for ten million dollars. Certainly, this year it's closer to seventeen right now in that range. So that's because of the Warriors, the Clippers, the Nets, a little bit of Lakers, and a few other teams. And I do have on Sports Business Classroom. It's it's just basically a team's taxable total, which isn't necessarily their their cap total, but it's a, a different computation. Um, and then on top of that, it's uh, I, I list the teams that are over what they're paying and what the kickback will projects to be. And it's so high that like the, the uh, of the many teams that are over the one team that stands out, that's just barely over is Philadelphia. And I, I, that could mean any number of things, but it, it suggests based on history and based on basic economics that if you can, uh, my, pre, my supposition was that they send $3 million plus um, probably um Maybe Jaden Springer, maybe Shake Milton. Uh, I don't think it would be Paul Reed. He fits that number, but I think he's a more valuable part of the rotation. Certainly Shake plays a role in the rotation. Um, maybe not as big of a role as, as when he started. And, you know, with Maxi hurt, he has a bigger role. But when Maxi, Harden, and Melton are healthy, he's probably a smaller role. So certainly they could afford to part with one of those two gentlemen. And you could add Montrez Harrell. Uh, wouldn't be Maxi, who's not highly paid. Niang is a, a rotation player. Maybe it's House. You know, like they they could get rid of House, who's a little bit more expensive. They just signed. There is some uh, simpatico with like James Harden and and yep. the Houston connection with Daryl Morey. Sometimes these decisions are made based on relationships. Uh, could be Corkmaz. You, you could just go down the list and who's not in the rotation at, or is not or maybe is in the rotation but isn't as high priority. Those are the kind of players that might be on the way out. But if you think about it, if you're if you're sending out a couple million in the player, sending about three million in cash to make it happen, and maybe maybe there's a second round pick in the transaction, who knows? Uh, and then you profit sixteen million dollars out of that. How do you not do that? Yeah. So um, and again, like if it was a few years back where the, the kickback was $300,000. No, I mean, you'd rather keep players that you like. If you think Jaden Springer is the guy that they have to move, but if they don't have to move and they want to just see what, you know, maybe he's still a, a player who can develop. So there's no rush. So these are the kind of questions that a, a team has to mull through. In addition to their, how do we improve as a on-court team? There's uh, at least five to 10 in-season trades that are just money-based deals. Even in the, the trades that are NBA on-court player deals, like Cam Reddish, for instance, right? Like last year, Cam Reddish was traded to the Knicks. That was for basketball. But for the Hawks, that was more about cutting a little bit of money, getting some... The, some of those moves are less about your team improve. They got Kevin Knox back, but they didn't get Kevin Knox 
for his on-court contribution. They got it because of the compensation that they got from the Knicks to make that move, which was, I, I believe, a first-round pick. Uh, not a great first, but a first. Um, the Knicks got a first. Let me think about that. Yeah, I, I'd have to look back at that. The Knicks, no, they traded a no, first. To the the Knicks traded the Hornets lottery-protected first. I right, exactly. Yep. Right. So they got, it's not a great first because of the protections, and I think it's a pick that, um, I think that, so like the, the Hawks have since moved that on too. I think, isn't it in San Antonio's possession now? Uh, isn't that, let me see here. I think that might've gone with the DeJounte. Yeah, they went with the DeJounte trade. Yeah, so they yeah, flipped yeah. it. Uh, so it's top 16 protected this year. And the Hornets are not going to be a playoff team. The worst record it's, in the league, I believe. It's lottery protected next year. And, um, Actually, it's for two more years. It's lottery protected. And then it becomes a pair of seconds. So any any pick that may not convey as a first is less valuable. So it's not it wasn't a crazy first to get Cam Reddish. And I don't think it paid off for the Knicks, but um, we'll see what they flip. If they flip uh, Cam, then we'll see what they uh, what they get for him. Yeah. And now, again, one last thing I promise, guys, Um. Now that we're just on the topic of like we just use a six for example that are one point one million over, I just will do want to note there are six teams that are dancing literally right under the tax and are within two million of the tax threshold. I don't have the sheet up right now, but I know like Atlanta, Washington, Miami. That's three of them. So if you're an NBA fan, you're interested to see what your team's going to do. I recommend taking a look over at Eric Sheetum Sportsbusinessclassroom.com. See what your team's tax situation is because sure they could go a hair bit over. And a salary matching deal, but they may that team may not necessarily want to because that would push them into the tax, and they then wouldn't get that tax dispersal we are talking about. Right. It's it's focus less on oh, what does it matter if they pay a small two, three, four, five, six million dollar tax on a player if it pushes them over the top? Fine. But what if they're also in addition to paying two, three, four, five million, losing seventeen million, mm-hmm. now you're paying twenty something million to get this player, and now you have to ask like, if you could get like, uh, what like if KD became available and it costs you twenty million extra dollars, that's a different story. But if you're talking about Mason Plumley, you know what I mean? Like yeah, then you start to, and obviously the example we used was Warriors. It doesn't apply, but for the teams like Miami, uh, and there are some teams that maybe it doesn't matter. I think a fan doesn't, not every fan, but a lot of fans, the more casual fans have no interest in caring about how much a team is spending. Like it doesn't, they don't care about the money. They care about their team competing, but you also want to understand the parameters of, of what your team is going to do. And if they're not going to do that money financially and you're pining for something to happen, that won't happen because it doesn't make financial sense then you're just wasting your time. And so I try to be the source of uh, reason and, and logic and, and understanding of the business uh, for the public as, as, as a writer and sort of, um, you know, there's a lot of people who do cover the game in different ways. That's how I cover the game and try to um, spread knowledge and, and, and understanding of the game and certainly something I, I take great joy in. So uh, I appreciate uh, some of the questions. Good stuff. We got to dig into some, some uh, some good issues there. We no, had plenty to to dig into. Definitely, I appreciate the insight. Again, there's not many people. I feel like it's starting to expand a little bit. The people that are talking about like the salary cap and front office aspect of it. Obviously, I'm still relatively new into it myself. 
So, yeah, I, I definitely enjoy having a mind like you who is really able to dig into that stuff and even teach me a few things. So mm-hmm. I definitely appreciate it. Um, you can follow me at BirdRightsPod on Twitter. You can follow Eric at Eric Pincus. Go follow Eric's work at Bleacher Report, at Sports Business Classroom. If you have any questions about Sports Business Classrooms, feel free to slide into my DMs. If I can't help you, I could obviously recommend you guys to Eric and... He could give you some insights on it, and yeah, anything else you want to plug, or did I cover it all? Yeah, sure. It's E-R-I-C-P-I-N-C-U-S, and uh, if you are interested in Sports Business Classroom, please reach out directly, and I am happy to discuss whether it's like the right program for you. We don't actually have uh, the program open yet for registration. Uh, I don't know the timing on that. That's above my my head, but at some point, they'll announce uh, registration, and um, if you're interested, reach out to me and I'll line you up because it is, we don't just take everybody. Uh, we cap it last year. We had it just under a hundred. Uh, we don't have the capacity uh, or the willingness to, to just mass market this and do like a thousand people. Uh, we're not doing this just to profit and to make as much money as possible. We're actually trying to find people that we can solidly recommend to people that trust us to make good recommendations. Uh, 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 potential candidates for positions with teams. We have great relationships as as a program with with the NBA and with the teams. And so, um, if if you're interested, reach out and I could talk over your situation and and maybe make a case for you and and put in a word uh, with with the people who do the uh, the administration, the the registration and stuff. So, uh, but as far as plugging uh, my articles, the best way to find them are certainly on on Twitter. Uh, if you just follow me there and look at my recent um, timeline, you'll see some of my more recent articles. So, uh, But I appreciate you having me on. Absolutely. Of course. I appreciate you coming on. Again, you guys can follow me on Twitter at BirdRightsPod. I will be releasing some upcoming episodes the next few weeks. Be on the lookout for the mock trade deadline. Obviously, you guys know I do do my massive article where I try to project trades, but as we talked about today, it's not an exact science, obviously. So um, be on the lookout for that. And I will talk to you guys next episode. Thanks for listening.